tiny eat my baby shit. She loves to eat her poop and it's horrible. Cause we have to like close all the doors whenever there's a poopy diaper somewhere. We have to like sequester oh, like it. out of the trash. She wants her essence. Do you have a diaper, Jeannie? We do. But if it fills up, like I'll put the last diaper on the hole. Indy will literally wait outside of the room until I'm distracted or I leave or whatever and then she'll come get that diaper. She's like <laughs> she's obsessed. It's embarrassing for her. Anyways. It's really embarrassing for her. Welcome back to Teacher Quit Talk. <laughs> we're preventing dogs from eating shit. So we're doing a new thing today. And forever. And forever. That's true. So what we were thinking is like we've had a ton of fabulous guests on and we've loved like learning from them and learning their stories and we felt like every time we've had a guest on we'll kind of briefly talk about something and we're both like oh I want to learn more about that like we kind of get these awesome nuggets and then we've had some guests recently that we got to nerd out with like read like a rock star Naomi where she knows a lot of research and both of us were just kind of like all right we've kind of talked to people a lot and gotten a lot of like like conversation, it'd be kind of fun to change gears a little bit and get more into like nitty gritty nerd stuff. So our new plan as of right now is that we're gonna We're like, gonna start a community college. We are. <laughs> we just got a lease in downtown LA. University of Phoenix move over. I was so inspired by some of the really scary shit charter schools in LA. I was like, you know what? Why not? Balls if the they wall. can do it. We can. They're not smarter than us. There's a charter school in Miami that's sponsored by Pitbull. So we're just modeling our business structure after that. I'm hoping to get RuPaul as our sponsor. I cannot stress enough how much I would only work at the charter school that I worked at. I think I just won the lottery. Working at a charter school is like going on a Mormon mission. Like you might end up in like a gem of a place like Heather from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. She did her Mormon mission in the south of France. You don't get fucking luckier than that. But when I was at FSU, I met people on their Mormon mission in Tallahassee, Florida. And like that's what working at a charter charter school is. You have no idea until you're there. Even if they have a good website, it could still be the fire fest of charter schools. School websites is a really big passion of mine because in the year 2023, if you can't have a functioning website, that really just shows me you don't know what the fuck's going on with anything because like it's so easy to go on like squarespace.com and make a decent website because for a school website, it's not like it's a software. All you really need is to be able to post schedules and information. Like, so if you can't do that, something's fucking wrong with you. But then alternatively, there's school websites that are amazing and that doesn't mean you know how to do other stuff too. You could still be stupid. And you could be really rich and really bad. So, so what are we doing? We're not actually starting a charter school. That was a joke. The people probably were like looking to enroll their child. Like they're like reading the episode description looking for the bit.ly. What we're gonna do is we're on like a schedule, email submission, Patreon submission, then two topics and then start the cycle over. And sometimes we're gonna have guests and sometimes we're not, but we're gonna try really hard to have only guests that have like research experience and knowledge or like they just know what the fuck is up like maybe they've given a TED talk maybe they've written a book maybe they were a part of a university research study like they're in that bitch right. in the trenches exactly and we have like a list of topics that we want to talk about if there's things that you guys want us to talk about let us know we talked to our Patreon people already we love you so much Patreon friends they helped us like finesse this plan and maybe it'll be hot maybe it'll be not but we're gonna do it I think you'll like it if you hate it make sure that you don't review it anywhere and just 
maybe like email us. People have been asking what they can do to like support our podcast and it's a little complicated but I can tell you. Patreon. Exactly. People are also asking us does it affect you when I skip your ads? I don't know but I will never tell you to not do that because I love that fast forward 10 seconds 15 seconds button. I don't even enable non-skippable ads on YouTube. I'm never going to do that to you so I don't fucking care if that Stop, helps Stop. I do that. I just started doing it like three weeks ago. I wanted the money. I think get in your bag. I'll never judge another person for that. What's funny is I do it but then when I go back and watch my own YouTube video to like find a clip or something I get so fucking mad. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to learn about goddamn Instacart. Let me go. We got our first host red ad, bitches. It's very exciting. Yeah, bitch. My Zoloft is like burning a hole in my throat. I think it's stuck. Is, is that supposed to happen? I don't think so. Chug water. Jump up and down maybe. Just kind of oh, like I get it, it to like. Uh, uh, Anyways, how you can support the podcast. We're never going to chart on Spotify. Not with that fucking attitude. Charting on Spotify is like finding a, a golden goose in a pond. What we can do is chart on Apple. So maybe listen on Apple. Other thing you can do is Patreon and giving us reviews. And speaking of Apple Podcasts, if you don't have premium Spotify, you get extra ads, but Apple Podcast isn't that way. Like if you're on an Apple device, you get Apple Podcasts for free. So if you don't have Apple Music and you don't have like premium Apple stuff, you can still use Apple Podcasts and everything's on there. I learned something new today. I don't know about you. So that's where we're going. Do you want to tell them what we're talking about today? Because it's kind of your thing. It's all of our thing, which is why I'm talking about it. It's all of our thing, but you're... So today we're going to be talking (laughs) about social studies in schools and two aspects that keep me awake at night. One is that a lot of things are being explicitly censored. A lot of content is being censored out of schools around horrible things that the U.S. government has done. Just things that are not easy to learn about, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't learn about them, are being removed from schools is one aspect of my fears. And then the other aspect aspect is that in elementary school over the last 20 years, and I actually have a longitudinal study with data, I'm really excited about it, the number of hours of social studies instruction per week has been going down really dramatically. So not only are we pulling actual content from being learned, but we're limiting the amount of time kids are spending on this. Not to sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, but I really do think it's intentional because our leaders want a people that are easy to exploit and easy to control. And when children are not learning things like how to recognize bias, how to recognize when things are like fake or when data has been manipulated, when they're not learning those skills, they're not equipped to go out and become informed citizens of the world, informed voters, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to be talking about social studies in schools and how it's it's not great. A lot of the shit that I read is talking about that it started with No Child Left Behind. Oh, interesting. That makes sense though, because I know No Child Left Behind was very like, we got to get these kids mathing and reading. Yeah. Every school that I've been in is like, okay, we're going to teach social studies through your ELA textbook. Same with science. Science and social studies aren't big test buckets. So they're just not focused on as much. They always get kind of like lumped in to other stuff. People in education have a tendency to view like ELA and math as skills and science and social studies as content when that's really not true. Science and social studies 
have skill-based things that need to be taught. And I think we're really doing kids like a disservice by expecting them to get those skills from reading and math when like they're just inherently different skills and you have to practice those things. Yeah. Which article are you reading? This is from historians.org by Robert B. Townsend and it's actually from July 30th, 2007. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. No child leaves the social studies behind. So it says a new study by the Center on Education Policy offers hard evidence that the social studies are being squeezed in America's schools by test-driven pressures imposed by the No Child Left Behind Act. A survey found that 58% of school districts increased the time in elementary schools allocated to ELA and 45% increased the time devoted to math. In the schools that I've been in, do you get, no, I guess you don't get this. So elementary school teachers, we get minutes in the beginning of the year to build our schedule. They give us like minutes they're like this is how much you need to teach every week of whatever i am familiar with this it never fits never ever in a single year i've taught has it been like a number of minutes that fits into the school day and what everybody always says is oh cut out the social studies and science times because it'll overlap ela is cross-curricular like you'll be able to stuff it in that time i think like it's useful and i actually have like i have secondhand experience with this because a very close friend of mine taught ela for fourth and she's taught fifth grade before and her own educational background is in political science. So she's always tried to like emphasize social studies. And she would often get told you need to be combining social studies into ELA because she was trying to do social studies things with kids that are inherently not ELA based things like reading maps and things like identifying where they live on a map and like analyzing documents, which analyzing documents can be ELA based, but it's a little bit different. But things like that, that are just not traditional reading and writing curriculum, but they're things that children very much need practice Yeah, fully. The ending of this article, it says the National Council for History Education flagged this and was like, do a study on this, please. It says they did so reluctantly. (laughs) They concluded, if history is to be a high priority subject in public school curriculum, then it must be assessed and evaluated. And it's not. So this is an article by Madeline Will. It's from March 2023, so very recently. It's from the Education Week, and it's titled, When it comes to social studies, elementary teachers are on their own. She talks about a few different studies. Um, Only half of elementary school principals said that their schools had adopted and published curriculum to support K through five social studies instruction. So not only do you not have enough time for it in the day, you're not being given curriculum for it in a lot of cases. I have the same article pulled up. Oh my God, I love us. So last year I had a textbook literally from the 70s and I couldn't use it because it literally was so out of touch with the era that we live within that it was shocking. People would be like, oh, just teach the social studies standards. It's like I have time to do unit planning. So what I ended up doing was I used Naomi O'Brien's social studies curriculum all last year. Naomi is fucking carrying. She carried me on her back. I don't know who the secretary of education is right now, but Naomi's doing more for this nation's reading than the U.S. Department of Education. And her social studies shit is so intersectional, so comprehensive, so well done. It's in partnership with another teacher and like they just kill it so I was literally using her units all last year because I couldn't use the book that our school had like the dusty ass textbook that was saying Indians instead of even Native Americans it wasn't even indigenous peoples but it was they weren't even there yet they were they were still they were still on step two you know that (laughs) meme that's like three steps of enlightened thinking yeah like from this same article from education week what you're saying about how you would use Naomi's curriculum which Naomi's amazing and it's 
it's great curriculum. But I think we can all agree that like one of the reasons that we have standards and testing and it's not necessarily a bad thing is so that we have mile markers of skills and things that kids are supposed to be able to achieve and do by certain grade levels so that they're prepared when they go to the next grade. And what's happening is that because teachers aren't being given curriculum, everyone is just like you finding their own thing. So there's not a framework for skills. So what this article says is the RAND report, which I can't remember what RAND stands for. The RAND name originated as a contraction of research and development. We're referring to RAND.org as a research organization that develops research and solutions for public policy. Okay, I just want to make sure like where this was coming from was real people. So it says the RAND report notes that both resources identify need to know content for grade bands like K through two or three through five rather than grade levels, meaning that educators have a lot of room to decide for themselves what contents they should teach. And many states don't even use any framework to inform their instructional standards. So there's wide variation across the country in content and rigor of the subject, where states usually use statewide summative assessment and standards for ELA and math. They don't do that for social studies, for elementary. So that's why when I was teaching high school social studies, I was literally just at the whim of like, what fun project did your elementary teacher do with you? And what was crazy to me is a lot of the kids that I taught had gone to elementary school together. And in one of my classes, a chunk of the class did know the parts of a compass because their fourth grade teacher had done a little outside project with them and every single one of them remembered it where they like, they did it on a field and they would have to like run from point, I don't remember what the details of it was, but literally that one teacher making a decision to do that project compared to the kids that didn't have that teacher in that elementary school, they could not name like north, south, east, west on a compass. Their adult ability to read maps was determined just based on their elementary teacher, one of them thinking of this creative thing and having the time to do it. That's kind of what's going on in the country at large too. You're really at the whim of the teacher that you have in the state that you're in and like, do they have social studies frameworks or not? In California, we have standards that go grade to grade. But that's not necessarily the vibe that everyone's working with. And I found some numbers about what you were saying about like time in the day. It's from the National Center for Education Statistics. So it's like very legit. In 1993 to four, that's like the peak of social studies in schools. Kids were spending about 9.5% of the school week on social studies at that time. And then by 2008, it was already down from 9.5 to 7.1%, which is only 2.3 hours. And then a different study I found from 74million.org, it says teachers have an average of two hours per week for social studies curriculum, and that's from 2014. And it says, for instance, from 1993 to 2008, the time allotted to social studies instruction dropped 56 minutes per week. It's the first thing to go. It's like, if you're going to drop something, if you run out of time, that's what's going to go. It scares me so bad because I feel like now our country is in a place that like we recognize that people being susceptible to conspiracy theories and people not being able to understand the news and things like that creates dangerous situations. Like January 6th happened, yes, because people are terrible, but in my opinion, more so because people don't understand how to interpret 
interpret the information around them and it made them so susceptible to misinformation. And like as a populace, if you don't teach someone how to look for misinformation and how to detect bias, like that's a big social studies skill to me that I would really emphasize with my high schoolers is like when you're reading a document, you need to be able to tell if it's an opinion or if it's a fact. Just because something looks official, they'll take it as a fact rather than having the skill where they've practiced to read it and really distinguish between opinion and fact. That is so, so important. Like the biases in media, a lot of what we're seeing in education as a whole is suppressing lessons like this like I honestly think it's the same reason that we're losing SEL and a lot of science stuff is because thinking critically is dangerous yes to a lot of people who are bigoted and afraid of change and like we're easier to control if we don't know these things so I totally agree with you I think that's what it is it's like it's easier to control people when they don't know these things and what you were saying about like opinion versus fact and reading old documents one of my favorite things I've ever done in the classroom just because I love the Vietnam War not like you know what I mean? I don't love that there was a Vietnam War, but I like talking about it. And I did the same thing with World War Two. is having the kids compare and contrast soldier diaries to newspaper articles. Kind of seeing like when you're learning about an event, there's differences between people that are there physically and also have their like emotional reaction to it compared to people that are not there physically and are kind of looking at, I don't want to say logic, but more looking at the big picture. And I think teaching kids that neither of those perspectives are bad or wrong necessarily, but like how to differentiate between them and form your opinion about something based on different types of information. I think that's super neat. It just shouldn't be on the teacher to individually decide to do that and then have to plan Exactly. It. There should be a framework of standards that's like differentiating between personal opinion and factual research. Ability to interpret maps. Like even as young as kindergarten, you can teach map skills in kindergarten. Like, yeah, they're not going to be able to be like, oh, let me identify Algeria on this map. But like you can teach them the difference between land and water. So one of the standards in kindergarten is using map words. So distinguish between land and water on maps and globes and locate general areas referenced in historical legends and stories. And then like traffic symbols and map symbols and models. So my first school was my fave. We did inquiry based learning time. It was a Reggio model. So it's like they were really into universal design and inquiry based learning. This is a picture from my first year they made like 3d maps oh with roads love a 3d hands-on activity and we all like walked together to go to the fire station for a field trip and they all got a little city grid that they made all by oh themselves oh my god i'm gonna throw up they need to do that you saying that standard i'm like 80 percent sure florida does not have a standard like that in that age group but we also had one and a half hours every single day for science and social studies instruction that's how much you need yeah we couldn't get anything done without it so all morning we would do math and english and, and then... just to like draw that comparison that article said that the average te- elementary teacher in the u.s gets two hours a week and you were getting an hour and a half a day like that yeah. is so amazing that you had that long per day i know and then every other school i've worked at that's not at all been the case they were like what do you mean social studies curriculum there's literally an american flag right there so do your fucking multiplication tables and it was literally like okay well the standards are touched on in your wonders book like ela curriculum like we we have it we don't need more i think the result of this because i think there's like the two sides of like there's social studies omission by neglect and then 
there's social studies omission by intent of censorship. I think the intentional one is worse, obviously. But they both kind of result in the same thing. And we were talking earlier about how social studies isn't really tested very often. I did find it's pretty recent. It's from the New York Times from May of 2023. It says it's not just math and reading. U.S. history scores for eighth graders plunge. The latest test results continue in a nearly decade-long decline. It says that 40% of 8th graders scored below basic on the U.S. history test in 2022, compared with 34% in 2018 and 29% in 2014. So this is happening right now pretty intensely. Like, this has not really been a super slow burn over 100 years. Like, over the last 15, we've seen a really dramatic drop. It says you can take this test. I kind of want to take it. Oh my God, do it. We'll link it in the description. After the article that was like 2007, the next one that I found was March 31st, 2015. It's by Valerie Strauss and it says social studies education facing crisis as class time is slashed, departments closed. So the president of the Massachusetts Council for the Social Studies at the time, Gorman Lee, warned that social studies is facing a serious civic crisis. This whole article is talking about exactly what we talked about before, like it's the reduction and sometimes elimination of social studies departments in many schools, especially elementary schools. I mean, the first time a lot of kids hear about a lot of historical events is like middle school, high school, like when it's a class mm-hmm. that you go to. And even when they get to the sixth grade or the high school level and they're learning social studies for the first time, in my experience, we had so much content packed into the year. The kids often couldn't even access the content because they were lacking in social studies skills. So like I would have standards saying that kids needed to be able to understand and explain a map of battles in World War II when those kids had never had a map standard the entire education. And I would always, every year I would start with teaching them the compass. That's what I would do on the first day of school to see who knew it and who didn't. Usually about 80% of them wouldn't know it. It's not their fault, but it's just such a basic map skill that like you need to be successful with that content and with that curriculum. And for any high school teachers that are okay with maybe getting in trouble, the way that you can make them remember it and they won't forget it is you just have to put up a compass and then you go, I have a trick to remember this. And they all think you're gonna say, never eat soggy waffles. And what you're gonna say is you're gonna point to it and you go, never ever smoke weed. I mean, that's taught a, me that. I think that's sticky and it's culturally responsive. So never ever that. smoke weed, guys. Look at your maps and don't smoke weed. Don't you dare. Oh, and I forgot that this was happening. We're talking about Gorman Lee a lot. In 2007, they were blaming No Child Left Behind. And then the problem just got exacerbated when Common Core rolled out. And obviously, Mm -hmm. those standards are not social studies or science. Those standards are English and math. Again, Common Core is not a curriculum if you're not a teacher and you're listening. It's the standards. So that's what we teach, not how we teach it. So what they were doing is they started collapsing social studies and English departments into humanities departments. And I think that's also like the experience people have on a PD level, like the Education Mm. Week article talked about that a little bit. Every time I would go to a district-wide PD, they would like literally not have a plan for social studies teachers. And they'd be like, oh, we'll just go with ELA. And I'd be sitting there like learning how to teach kids to write an essay. And I was like, I don't even know how to write a fucking essay. Like this isn't my job. Thankfully, I worked for a really large district. So I would only ever attend PDs that were hosted by the social studies department because every single 
single other one was just like so fucking useless because they would just shove me with ELA teachers. It was a good PD. That's just not my job. Yeah. And like you're expected to support ELA instead of being your own highly qualified professional individual self. I taught US history, which is standardized tested. And everyone in the social studies department would pity me for having a tested area because there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. But my logic was, is I was like, I like it better because like, A, my admin actually takes me seriously now. And like, if I need something, they're more likely to listen because their scores dependent on it. And B, everyone leaves me alone when it comes to reading and writing because what they would do to the world history teacher is they would literally give her ELA standards and make the kids write essays in her class. So she wasn't allowed to do regular social studies instruction with like projects and maps and stuff. She would just have to do like reading articles and then have to teach them how to compare and contrast them like she was teaching ELA with social studies content and I was like I just can't do that so like I just want to be left alone with my history stuff so like if that means a standardized test, so be it. We have the SBAC, S-B-A-C. The thing that I really hate about SBAC, I hate a lot of things about SBAC, actually. Last year was my first year prepping the kids for SBAC. Third grade is their first year of testing. There's a lot of pressure on that. But the biggest issue I had with it last year was you're asking these kids to take two academic social studies or science topic articles, and they're being asked to pull notes and evidence from both of them, and then they're expected to sit synthesize that into like answering a prompt in a five paragraph essay in the third grade in the third grade post covid when i got my kids last year i had 27 kids i had 12 students reading at a kindergarten level and i am asking them to they're like fuck your phonics we actually need you to read this article about chemistry and then let us know what your thoughts are and the district's stance is that you are not to go back and remediate so you are not to go back and teach anything they were like you need to just keep it going in what universe You don't even need to know about education to understand that not remediating is a terrible plan. Like, I literally think if we went and asked, like, someone that worked at TJ Maxx for their whole life, like, they would know that. I think it was just such a disservice, not only to our teachers for setting them up for basically complete failure, but to our students. Like, the stress that my students were under last year was heartbreaking. I would watch them just totally defeated and sad and, like, they can't read the article. And then you're telling me not to teach them letter sounds and blending? So there's just fucked it just breaks my heart because like like I don't understand how like leaders can make these decisions because that like it's just gonna lead them to get so frustrated and give up because that's the logical thing to do like that's like if you asked me to run a marathon today and I didn't get to have any water and I didn't get to train at all and I didn't have a break I'm not gonna be able to do that and that's gonna turn me off from ever trying again because I didn't have any support in doing that thing and like I didn't have the chance to start small and I didn't have the chance to scaffold up to it and then we wonder why children statistically say they dislike being in school. Right. Because like when you're being expected to do something that's far beyond your abilities, that's not a fun experience. No, it's not. And just to like bring it back to social studies, these kids can't access the text. Their one shot at learning social studies allegedly is accessing it within the ELA curriculum. And when we have a crisis of literacy, you're setting the kids up to now not know their social studies shit. Like they're also not learning that. Like if we're alleging that social studies is there to support the ELA curriculum and then we're not giving students the skills to access that curriculum. Okay, well then they don't get social studies or ELA. 
at that point. And like, I think it's really easy for leaders and lawmakers and superintendents to go on TV and to be interviewed and be like, I care about rigor. We love rigor. And like, I'm very pro rigor. I think like they should have to do things that get increasingly harder over time. But at a certain point, you have to look in the mirror and just say, this is just not realistic for a child to move this quickly. And like, we live in a very numbers driven society. So like every superintendent just wants to show when I was superintendent, they were learning like better and harder stuff than the guy before me when in reality, like it matters more what you're teaching with fidelity than like what the standard is. Like if no one is able to do it, it doesn't fucking matter. Like then they just get further and further behind because that task would even be difficult for my high schoolers because like, I think education, especially in the last 10 years, we've just kind of lost the value of a solid foundation. And I think a lot of leaders think that you can just like keep charging ahead without having a solid foundation and you just cannot. Mm -hmm. If a child cannot sit down and read that article and understand it, we don't need to be asking them to compare and contrast it because like, no. No. And a lot of these areas where they're banning these quote unquote divisive topics, they're predominantly white. So it's just expanding the privilege of these people to not have any type of expanded worldview. People who think racism doesn't exist, it's a privilege. And like burying it so it can't be taught. So now kids go from grade to grade to grade not knowing shit about shit. And even what you just said about like a lot of times it's in predominantly white white areas. But I also was reading about a different thing. This is like pretty well documented, but NBC Miami says that Miami-Dade County Public School seeks parents to volunteer to review textbooks. And I think that's so inherently biased because like a very small group of people is going to sign up for that. And it's going to be people that probably have very traditional educational backgrounds, probably have a lot of work flexibility and probably have a lot of free time. And that's not an inclusive representation of what the parents of the community want. So I think even in areas like Miami, that's not predominantly white. The predominantly white voice is still the one making these decisions because that's who can fucking go for three hours in the middle of the day on a weekday and go down and flip through these kids books and decide what they're okay with and what's not. And again, like, I love parents. I think parents' opinion is really important, but like, I think we don't need just like any random parent off the street making decisions about what curriculum is being used in the school. Like, I think their voice has a place, but it's not the final gatekeeper of what books are gonna be used and not used. Because another thing, the Miami New Times says that over 350 books have already been banned in Florida schools since July of 2022. And then NBC says that 1600 books have been banned, but that's nationwide. I feel like so many people point to that kind of shit and they're like, well, it's not actually being banned. Like they're just being challenged or like this bill that's being introduced doesn't actually say X, Y, or Z. It says this. But what's happening is the overcorrection is even more harmful than anything the bills could say. And I feel like I'm trying to explain that to people constantly. Our girl, Matt, Madeline Will wrote another article about state's restrictions for teachers. A lot of teachers are opting out of discussing racism, gender, or gay rights. Like these teachers are opting out of teaching social studies or teaching these so-called divisive content areas because they're scared. And like the people who would sit and review those fucking textbooks, like the Moms for Liberty types, they're bullies. How many teachers have been doxxed on the internet? The one that really got me is there was a group of 
conservatives online fucking just up in arms over a teacher who had a rainbow that just said kindness is everything. And they were like, they're trying to indoctrinate. I was like, it's a literal rainbow in a kindergarten classroom that just says kindness. This man, he tweeted something pointing to the rainbow. We put the kind in kindergarten is what he's objecting to and pointed to our class as a family, which is a just a book. And it says, the first thing it does is doxer. So-and-so provides parents a look at the indoctrination their kids are facing. Her class I is don't not- want my kid to feel loved in class. I'm your family. Her class is not a family. It's not about being kind. It's about colors and ABCs. Parents are the family. Pull your kid now. They said this. these aren't your kids, so you better yell at them. I do not want anyone being nice to my child. It's not about being kind. They're terrified of me and they should be equally as terrified of every other adult because that's how you become well-adjusted and normal just like I am right now. Oh my god. When I saw that last year, I was like, our goose is cooked. That book is such a cute book. If you haven't read Our Class is a Family by Shannon Olson, it is extremely cute. It comes with a wonderful poster that you can put on your classroom wall and enrage Trumpers on the internet. One other thing I want to say about the book banning what you were saying is that they're literally just bullies what this NBC article says is that nearly all of the book bans 96% to be exact were enacted without the school or district following best practice guidelines by the American Library Association and National Coalition Against Censorship I think that's one thing that people always forget is they're like obviously we don't want everything in schools like Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't need to be in the fifth grade library fucking obviously but we already have organizations that develop really comprehensive frameworks around deciding what's appropriate for children and what's not. So the fact that we're just letting these people decide based on what the cover looks like, what they think about it, and we're acting like we have this giant free-for-all when like we do have frameworks for how to decide these things. We're just actively choosing to go the crazy person route. Exactly. I found some good statistics that I think are valuable to this conversation because I think a big thing is like, I'm gonna kind of go on a tangent rant for a little bit, but this is just like, my hill that I like to die on is that like the reason we're in this place as a society is because the right is organized and they know what the fuck is going on and they have an agenda and they're all agreed with each other and on the left we spend all of our time fighting with each other about what we think is right instead of looking at actual facts of the situation. We need to touch grass a lot. A lot. So I think like a big priority of the left should be to really analyze what is exactly happening what are the numbers what do we need to be keeping an eye out for so that's why I kind of want to go through these statistics. This is from an NBC article. More than 1,600 books banned during the 21-22 school year. The statistics that I want to talk about is it says over 1,648 titles that were banned last year. The report found that 41% explicitly addressed LGBTQ themes or have protagonists prominent secondary characters who are LGBTQ, and 40% include protagonists or secondary characters of color. More than one-fifth, 21%, directly address the issues of race or racism. 22% include sexual content, including novels of description of sexual experience, teen pregnancy, sexual assault, or abortion, or informational books about puberty, sex, or relationships, which I know it's easy to be like, high schoolers and 
they shouldn't be talking about sex in schools, but to me, like, informational health focused is very different. Did nobody have the American Girl doll book? No, literally. That's what I mean. Like, having, like, a health focused book, like, we're no one wants the kids to read Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, that's not what we're saying. And then, like we said, most of them are not going by any index of any established framework of why something should be banned. And it said, at least 50 groups pushing for book bans, 73% have formed since last year. One of the largest is Moms for Liberty, like you said, a group advocating for parental rights, which lists more than 200 local chapters on its website. So to me, this says this is new, this is organized, and this is specific around a couple key issues that these people are upset about, which seems anything to do with bodily autonomy, sexual orientation, or anything to do with race appears to be like their big three. I'm so tired of people being like, check out genderqueer, check out genderqueer. That is the number one book that people will cite when they are arguing for book bans. Do you want to know about genderqueer? Because I literally, it's a memoir of Maya Kobabi's real life growing up as a queer person. And it includes sexual content. It's a graphic novel. It's for 16 plus, but it's never in the kids section. People will be like, but it's in the library. Yes, books go in library. You're like, what a funny place to find a book. I can tell it's your first time here. Just because it's a graphic novel, friend, it does not mean that it is in the picture book section. When they shake their head, the brains on these people just rattle around. Like at the end of the day, if your 17 year old child wants to get a book that's 16 plus, like that is quite literally within their human rights. My question is, when was the last time you checked your teenager's search history? When was the last time you talked to your child about porn online? When was the last time you talked to your child about protecting their digital footprint online? Because if you actually fucking cared about what your child was being exposed to, you'd be up in that motherfucking Apple ID. I don't know if you know this, but teenagers know about sex and they're gonna live. And they're gonna find out more. Generally, when teenagers learn about sex, they don't have a desire to learn less. They wanna learn more. But it's that argument that trickles down into the social study stuff like what's happening is moms for liberty are taking that example and applying it into things like curriculum and it ends up where people will be in my comment section like are you doing a read aloud to your kindergartners of gender queer it's like be so fucking for real and it's like I'm sorry I'm talking about books that are banned because they are banning the existence of LGBTQI IA plus representation in literature. I'm talking about books that are banned because they show an immigrant family. Like the way that it's trivialized with shit like that. I'm like, you don't even want to have a conversation. Like you just want social studies and gay people. And you want to put your hand over your kid's eyes when they walk down the street and see a gay couple holding hands. Like that's the level It's like how that we're working the with. Duggars use the code word Nike. Yes. So when the Duggars are out and about, if they see anyone being gay or having a body, they say Nike. Nike so that all their children avert their eyes. And look how well that worked out for them. So I wanted to talk really quickly about things that we can do. So there are, if you're looking for curriculum, obviously we know that you can use things like Brain Pop or YouTube or Teachers Pay Teachers. And my favorite for high schoolers, if you're a parent and you want to like kind of supplement, is Vox Explained is amazing for the high school level. They have like very good engaging videos that are usually about 10 minutes and like they'll keep a high 
high school are engaged. We love engagement. It's like brain pop for big kids, but technically it's for adults. But So Lawrence Posca, the executive director for the National Council for the Social Studies, says, this is a solvable problem. Decisions to reduce or eliminate social studies can always be undone. We had the time for social studies in elementary school back in the day. We can bring that back. We invest in professional development for teachers. We can just as easily decide that investing in PD for elementary school social studies is a priority. And this is recommended by Gorman Lee, who we talked about earlier. It says, if you're doing a special project with your students, I strongly encourage you to invite your elected local representative to your classroom and showcase what students are learning in social studies classes. It is our civic responsibility to express our collective concerns to our legislators and enlighten them on the importance and necessity to support and promote a strong K-12 social studies education in our public, charter, and private schools. All of us. When I, like, people ask, like, oh, what should I do? There's kind of, like, two buckets. Like, what should you do for the world and what should you do for your household? In my opinion, activism can be kind of hard to approach for people because, you know, people aren't always comfortable going to these meetings and advocating on, like, an institutional level. So I think, like, one thing that I wish was more of an emphasis that I want to talk about is, like, activism is a lot of times within your own home, just with your own child, and that doesn't make it any less important. So I think a thing you can do as a parent, if this is something that's concerning to you, is, like, you don't have to go to these meetings. You don't have to do those things if that doesn't seem in your wheelhouse. I would just be diligent about trying to have conversations with your child and watch these things and learn things together like as a family like just a couple recommendations for the high school level I guess you could do this with elementary schoolers you would just have to kind of structure it a little differently I know of a parent who has a book club with her child and her child's friend as a part of it so they'll pick a book and like sometimes it's more non-fiction-y sometimes it's a novel and they read it just on their own time and then talk about it every couple days at dinner and say like oh where are you in the book and they try and stay at about the same spot so if you feel like your child is not getting curriculum that you want them to get in school, have them read a book about historical racism in the US. There's lots of options out there and like you can ask in Facebook groups and you can look on Teachers Pay Teachers and like don't feel like you can't incorporate those things into your own household. And if you're gonna look at me and be like, my child isn't gonna read, one, if you're reading in front of them, they're gonna be more likely to. And two, it's the year 2023. Reading doesn't have to look like you sitting and holding a physical book. If you take a family family car ride or take a family walk and all listen to the same audiobook together. Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can be incorporating knowledge for your kids and I think YouTube is another great one. Find some of the Vox videos. Hank and John Green both make amazing content and like when you guys normally just put on The Office while you guys eat dinner, maybe try putting on a video that might get your kid thinking a little bit more. Vox has a great one that I love about Civil War and how like there's this group called like the Daughters of Liberty that like censored civil war education in the South. And it kind of talks about what kids learn in school and why they learn it that way versus what actually happened. And I've had high schoolers be fascinated by that video and it like got them thinking differently. So I think like as a parent, don't let the fear of not finding the perfect thing stop you and force you to do nothing. Like, yeah, maybe you don't, know everything on the planet but like as you educate yourself you can educate your child too and don't feel like you have to be an expert just to embed this into like the culture of your family and the culture of your household.
old. We just can't be ignorant. And I think like, I mean, obviously all of this should be taught in schools. Like we shouldn't be having to do this legwork on our own, but. No, we shouldn't. But here we are. Here we are. I also shouldn't have to wait two months for a gynecologist appointment, but we live in the United States. So glad we're all on the same page. Like I wish global warming wasn't happening. I wish I didn't sweat so easily. I wish eyelash extensions didn't take two hours. Like what else do you want to talk about? I know, exactly. (laughs) It's like, well, this is what we're dealing with. And until we can get some real systemic change going, we got to work the system. So anyways. Working in the system and working in that social studies to your child's life because we know the Department of Education isn't doing it. They sure fucking aren't. Well, thanks for coming to Teacher Quit Talk. We hope you liked learning and being a little nerdier than usual. Let us know what you think. Only positively, though. Any negative comments will be handled via email. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Bye. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.